0: Revisit the official podcast of the UCC Visitor Centre. Welcome to this episode of Revisit the UCC Visitor Centre official podcast. I'm delighted to be joined on the show today by Dr. Jenny Butler. Dr. Jenny Butler is a well known folklorist and the leading authority on the academic study of contemporary paganism in the Irish context, having conducted the first ever ethnographic study of Irish contemporary paganism. Her book on this topic. 21st century Irish paganism worldview ritual identity is forthcoming from Rutledge. Dr. Butler has been the recipient of many awards, bursaries and accolades stretching back to her student days when for two years running she was awarded the title of UCC College Scholar. Since then she has received various awards and her research has been supported by the Irish Research Council, the Royal Irish Academy, the Ireland Canada University Foundation, the Ireland Newfoundland Partnership, and by the UCC College of Arts, Celtic Studies, and Social Science Research Support Fund. Dr Butler has been a Government of Ireland Research Scholar, a Dobbin Scholar, and a Charlemagne Scholar, and more importantly, is one of my favourite people in UCC. Hi Jenny, how are you? Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: I need to take a breath after that. That was a long sentence, so yeah. So um, you're, you're very welcome. And the, the one thing I always like to start this conversation with people is, is, is to ask them about, their own history, their own sense of history with UCC. So can you tell me about your own passage to UCC and your own history here?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I actually studied at UCC. I studied uh, philosophy and folklore, and then I started uh, an MPhil, which was upgraded to PhD. So uh, I did all my studying at at UCC, and then uh, I started um, uh, teaching here as well um, as, as a student. and. Uh, I'm still here. They can't get rid of me.
0: <laughs> so, so you've actually spent your whole kind of career here, have you? Yeah. Like myself, it's 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 a strange feeling at times, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I I taught um like just a summer school and and things at uh, Dublin Dublin uh, City University in in Celtic Studies, but it was a uh, just a summer school program for for teenagers. So yeah. So it's mainly been UCC
0: for those of us who have kind of studied and spent our whole time there. We get a great insight into what it's like for students to come in and that, that must help you in teaching your students as well, because you, you've lived the same experience that they have.
1: Yeah, um, I think, you know, knowing the university and um, kind of knowing the, the system from both sides, if you like, is, is yeah, kind of gives me a special insight.
0: And you teach currently in the School of Religions, am I correct?
1: Yeah, Study Religions um, department, uh,
0: yeah. I, I love that department because it's got so many different facets and different ideas and ideologies all kind of coexisting under the one roof. It's for me it's it's really what universities are about.
1: Yeah, I think you know religious understanding, like uh, religious literacy is really important just to be able like I think it's so it's so embedded in culture and to be able to understand different people and you know where they're coming from. Um, so I think it's it's a really good skill to have, like as um, something to something to study, and it's something I, I really enjoy uh, working in because I've I've always been interested in you know what why people are religious, what they believe, and why, and because I, I was raised with no religion, which I suppose is a bit uh, unusual for for Ireland. Um, I was I was exempt from religion in school, uh, so <laughs> it's funny that I ended up. Um, you know, working in this area. so
0: perhaps your distance from it though growing up gave you more of a strength to be able to analyse it more critically?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, when I was little, I used to think that everybody else knew something that I didn't know. (laughs) So I always kind of was on the outside looking in and I think that gave me Mm. that kind of, you know, that kind of uh, inquiring interest. And so I'm interested in lots of different religions, you know, what, uh, particularly new religious movements, like how how they how they they develop, how they arise, and what people actually believe, and so it's uh, yeah trying to make sense of that and understand it.
0: And, and clearly, there's a lot of young students that want to make sense of that as well too, and want to look at religions and and I suppose in plural uh, religions critically and analyse why people are religious and I suppose why they follow certain religions
1: yeah, and I think um, I think it's really important for for society to have you know freedom freedom of religious expression, but freedom from religion as well, you know, and um, and just to be aware of of what all of that means and uh, you know the whole political and and social context. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a way a way into understanding lots of different different things, different aspects of culture and society. Mm,
0: no I agree I think being religious is a choice but uh, uh, the absence of religion is also a choice and it's it's an equally as valid choice for people as well too and I don't think it should be undermined yeah so the concept of ritual and festival feature very heavily in your work. can you tell us a little bit about that
1: yes um my my main area of research is uh, on contemporary paganism and uh, for this is a form of of nature religion it's a it's a Categorized as a new religious movement, um, so it involves many different rituals and festivals. So ritual is very—it's uh, central for for most most pagans. Um, you know, the expression of of belief through ritual or um, kind of like uh, marking things with ritual, devising one's own rituals. And um, so, ritual is, is uh, I started off looking at at ritual, and then it kind of. It, kind of expanded into looking at um you know the the, the kind of uh what characterizes the uh the, the belief system and how it's expressed through through ritual and and festival uh, celebration as well as other things so for um like the the kind of paganisms uh that that I research um are witchcraft so there's a, you know, there's an expression that not all witches are pagan and not all pagans are witches. Um, So there's different kinds of pagan witchcraft, uh, including Wicca and then um, Druidry. And I also include people who self-identify just as pagan uh, in in my research. So not everybody follows a particular path or, or type of paganism, but for each of those, you know, generic kind of pagans and wiccans and druids uh, and and other uh, witches they each would have uh rituals so the the rituals are quite similar across the kinds of paganism that i research so there would be things like um life cycle rituals so including baby blessings so for most um for well the, the pagan the kind of paganisms that i Uh, research. I have to keep clarifying that because there's different, different kinds uh, in different parts of the world, especially. But um, for the the kinds I research, there would be things like baby blessings, which is a welcoming kind of ritual. It's not, you know, it's not the equivalent of a christening, for example. Um, There would also be, you know, pagan weddings. So they're, they're called hand fastings. So that comes from like an Anglo-Saxon, the Anglo-Saxon term hand fasting for the um, tying the hands together. And then, you know, that's that's apparently where tying the knot comes from. uh, And then untying the the bind to show that people are standing together of their free will. Uh, So the hand fasting ritual, um, there would be people who are registered celebrants, you know, who who can marry people. Um, And uh, there are kind of like public pagans who who would do that as well, who would be uh, ritual officiants at at hand fastings. And people uh, often devise their own ritual for their their wedding. So I was actually invited to hand fasting as part of my field work. Uh, I went to the wedding of a druid and a witch. um, So I was able to uh, write about that and uh, There's also things like um, like funerals, of course, and uh, initiation rituals. So depending on the kind of paganism and the kind of practice. So some people would be in um, ritual groups. So for witches, they're known as covens and for druids, they're known as groves. So um, grove is a reference to like the um, classical references to druids. Uh, and the, the the word nematon, like a, a kind of forest clearing, um, where the the you know th- this imagery of of the uh, ancient druids um, venerating their their deities in in the forest, and the word druid itself coming from oak, uh, oak or knowledge of the oak or priests of the oak is is how it's translated. So for coven's and groves, they they would have rituals to mark. Special occasions, um, and there's also solitary practitioners uh, who who would practice ritual on their own. So, um, not everyone does the same thing. So, in my in the course of my fieldwork, which I I did for quite a long time over over a decade, I took part in different rituals, uh, and I tried to follow the festival cycle uh, with a particular group, and then um, with with different groups and individuals. Uh, to see what they do to celebrate the festivals so for pagans in Ireland um, most people would would follow the, um, the Celtic ritual year structure so oh. the and this is something we still have in the the traditional Irish calendar you know the, the calendar customs so we have the the, the festival of, of Imbolc so that's the traditional start of spring on the first of February which uh, it's also Saint Bridget's Day in the the Irish calendar, so pagans would celebrate Bridget, but the the pagan goddess. And um, and then um, you have the uh, the the next kind of in paganism, they're known as the 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 the, uh, the head festivals or the major festivals, and um, the 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 festival of Beltane or. Uh, the traditional start of summer um, on the 1st of May and then you have Lunasa which is the harvest on 1st of August uh, in our modern calendar and then Samhain or or Halloween which became Halloween and so pagans would celebrate the festival of Samhain and the traditional start of winter and also the solstices and the equinoxes and so that kind of structure is uh, is what most um, pagans would follow and um, you know, it's I've uh, taken part in lots of different kinds of rituals, but it usually incorporates something to do with the season, you know, to mark sure. these special times and uh, to have a party afterwards, like to have food and drink. So pagans often drink mead so that, uh, you know, the, uh, or yeah. um, share like foods that are in season or.
0: Um, when I was so. a student, I was involved in the medieval Renaissance society. And we used to have a banquet every year and it was mead that was served at the banquet. Now, I wasn't a drinker, but it was something that I engaged in just to get a sense of it. And and even the whole experience was really, it. it it's one of my most vivid memories from my student life, actually. It was just amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: It was really good. Can I ask you about Soane? Um I, I mean, my knowledge of, of paganism is, you know, I pick it up from movies. So I have another following question in a minute about that. But for some reason, I think I've always seemed to have this belief. Maybe it's it's accurate or, or, or not. Did Halloween actually derive in Ireland from pagan rituals or or is it from somewhere else?
1: Well, it's a it's a conflation of, of um, different religious observances. So, you know, you have the, the festival of Samhain is... It's pre-Christian. It's um, coming from two kind of root words, uh, Sáv and Fúin. So Sávwén and then becomes Sávén in in modern Irish. So um, it literally means summer's end. So Sáv like a saura. Um, So summer's end, the traditional start of winter. Um, so for, you know, uh, for some pagans, it would be the the new year. But um, historically, you know, there wouldn't be, there's not enough evidence to, 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 to say that it was the, the new year for the Celtic peoples. Um, but we know from the later Irish calendar that it's the traditional start of winter. So it's associated um, with the returning dead. And you know, the, there's different traditions around that in Ireland, the, the door unlocked and what's known as the dumb supper in some parts of Ireland where you know a meal or a place would be set for the, the returning relative usually. And so this then became mixed in with the uh, the, the, the Roman Catholic uh, days of all saints and all souls. So on the first and the second of November. So then Halloween, the word Halloween comes from uh, all all Hallows Eve from the old Old English Hallig for holy, uh, becomes. Uh, all hallows evening and then eventually Halloween it's so that's why you still have that, and um, you know the apostrophe sure. between these <laughs> because it represents evening so oh, uh, that's how they're right. connected because they're both associated with the dead and different things started to to mix together so
0: now as I say my knowledge of paganism is pretty much comes from my DVD collection, from, yeah. I suppose, a number of horror movies and, 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 and cult movies that I've seen over the years. And one of the best films I've seen in a number of years came out about two years ago. It was called Midsummer. Have you yeah. seen
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. So it's pretty much about, uh, I suppose, a pagan festival in, in Sweden. So it's obviously a horror movie, so it's it's done for, you know, for, for thrills and, and, and to kind of, I suppose, to shock people. But uh, l- looking at it, th- there seemed to be a huge amount of effort and detail went into the actual storytelling of the actual rituals themselves. So are those kind of rituals accurate?
1: I'm not so familiar with the Swedish context. Apparently, the, the part about jumping off the cliff with, the, you know, the old people were jumping off the cliff and killing themselves. That There's some reference to that in a text. I, I read that, so I'm not too yeah. familiar with the context. Some parts of the film i didn't like uh some i did like i liked the the tables being arranged when they were having the the feast the tables being arranged in the shape of runes i thought that was kind of cool and uh like there's some kind of cult horror films that i i like like the wicker man the original one
0: yeah Uh, yeah.
1: it's also not it's not it's not about a continuous pagan tradition it's about a you know, Lord Summer Isle starts up a pagan religion on the island. It's uh, So I suppose it's a bit like Midsummer, that it's a it's a particular group that are doing this, it's not something continuous. So I don't know if there's any films actually about a continuous tradition.
0: I suppose they are works of fiction and I suppose they should, they should be able to stand up to scholastic criticism, you know, which is why well, it's great to have folklorists and uh, and people who are experts in in this area and it'd be nice to see I suppose more critical um, analysis of these kind of things.
1: Well just in connection with horror films you know that's uh, something a lot of my my research participants talked about because a lot of people you know you have a lot of cultural fears around the occult yeah. you know even the word itself uh, and witchcraft and um, there was the Satanic Panic, which was uh, started by a book called Michelle Remembers in, yeah. in the United States, and you know, which resulted in uh, social workers taking children away from from people uh, who who had any association at all with with witchcraft. And then this spread to England, and so some of the people I would have interviewed in Ireland um, would have been, you know, from generations that had experienced something like that, or. Um, you know, so those kind of, those associations with things like, um, you know, the, the idea of a cult itself or the association with things like animal sacrifice, uh, which isn't part of paganism, um, that I research, you know, uh, people are very, um, as a demographic pagans are very, uh, you know, they're animal lovers or into yeah. the environment. Most people are, uh involved in some kind of environmental activism or at least protection or awareness of, of stuff like that. So um, it can be quite damaging, you know, the 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 images of in, in those kinds of films and around ritual and, um, you know, things that people are frightened of because uh, when it comes to practicing an actual religion, people can be discriminated against because of Sim- simply because of that kind of association. So. No, I
0: agree. I agree. I think Dan. That's why it's important to have this kind of scholasticism so that we can actually d- differentiate the difference between what is essentially fiction on the screen w- w- in movies and in stories which are done for entertainment, versus the reality of what of what, what paganism and pre and and various religions are. I mean, I had written down a, an extra question I wanted to ask you, which was: witches tend to get a bad name, whereas druids don't seem to get the same kind of. Of of criticism that witches do. So, would you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's it comes back to that kind of um, association in in popular culture, and it's coming from films and uh, literature and so on, and um, and also from you know historical events. So, people who were uh, largely women uh, who were accused of of being witches and who were burned or hanged or tortured, uh, and all of those cultural fears that come from you know, the fear of, of malevolent magic or uh, ideas that come from the Judeo-Christian uh, cosmology or, you know, way of understanding like about black magic or um, heresy or these concepts. So um, we don't have that association with Druidry. And it's, it's interesting in Ireland, you know, the Irish language, the word for magic is still in modern Irish Druid. So, you know, Druidry literally uh, is, is magic, so um, we don't have that, we don't kind of have that association with druids, the the depiction in, in, like back to films again, the depiction is usually the druid or the wizard is kind of the same image, a more benevolent, you know, character like Gandalf or Hagrid or whatever, so I think that's uh, a lot of the the negative association with, with witches is fear. Um, so.
0: Do you think that decades of things like Harry Potter and various other kind of wizardry and, 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 and fantasy has led to an increase of students wanting to study things, paganism and folklore?
1: I think so. Well, I think there's, you know, there's been, we can look back through through history, there's there's a, always been interest in things like magic and the otherworldly. But, you know, in, a certain, in certain time periods, you, you weren't allowed Literally, you could you 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 could be risking your life being involved in things like that. So, uh, in our world today, people are freer to to investigate these things, and um, I think it holds an allure. You know, uh, things to do with magic and mythology and the esoteric. Um, and I teach a course on Western esotericism, uh, which is an academic categorization really for uh, certain. Aspects of, of the of the occult, occult practices and and traditions and um, new religious movements. So I look at the connection between uh, that history of you know secret societies and magical practices and new religious movements in terms of the philosophies and things that influence the development of new religious movements. So I look at the the Irish context and the connection with with uh, Britain, England in particular. So there's quite an interesting uh, history. For example, William Butler Yeats and Ella Young, uh, and uh, th- that whole group of people, you know, uh, who who were, interestingly, I think, you know, you have, you have a kind of, that kind of spectrum where you have the folk or, you know, folklore, the masses. And then the other end of the spectrum, you have the elite esoteric, kind of groups, but in Ireland that meets, you know, there's that that really interesting intersection where you have people like Yeats, um, who, who was in the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn with Alistair Crowley, and he was a folklore collector, you know, he wasn't an academic folklorist, but the, the, the group that collected some of the the, the, the ma- main folklore collection that we have from that time period were also many of them involved in um, the occult. So. I think that's really, uh, really interesting, and I well, find there's that there's
0: stories there, really, isn't there? So I mean, you can see why writers would be attracted to that kind of.
1: Yeah, and I find that people like, you know, I'd have visiting students and and things as well. But a lot of uh, Irish students have told me that they never they did they weren't aware of this history. You know, they would never come across it in school, or they might have done poets by Yeats, poems by Yeats, or something, but. They weren't aware of the the occult uh, side of side of it. So there's many reasons why that's downplayed or or uh, left out. So, really. uh, I think I I would speculate that it's to do with with the the Roman Catholic hegemony um, and the you know it's it's influence in in the school system and the you know the even i would say the same about why the the irish epic the tón you know and tónbokuulna is yeah. not is not studied uh, in schools in in ireland because of its pagan associations likely you know whereas in in finland for example the Kalevala, their national epic is studied in school so i think those things were omitted uh, intentionally um, that's my feeling anyway yeah because of their the, the pagan um content.
0: Well maybe the time will come when we will get more pagan content in schools so that people can look at it from a historic context and from a literary context as well which would be a great thing to aim for.
1: Yeah as part of our our heritage you know the mythological traditions is, is so embedded in in the landscape and in in place names and so on.
0: When you think about one of the best-selling books in Ireland, our series of books in Ireland for, for the last couple of decades was about a leprechaun, you know, on fairies, Artemis Fowl, and that kind of really opened up, I think, the idea of fairies and 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 I suppose the occult in some way to kids again, and it it, it really lights the imagination of people as well, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, I th- there, there's, I think there's uh, so much interest in fairies, especially, you know, I, I have a project called Fairy Lore and Landscapes, um, and I, uh, I started off looking at legends connected with place, so particularly to do with otherworldly beings like fairies. And uh, when I was doing archival research and looking for people to, to speak to me about legends that they'd heard, I found that people were telling me firsthand accounts, you know, they started telling me about experiences. So I became very interested in that and, you know, how people make sense of these things and these so-called fairy places and, you know, to, to approach them from a, a study of religions perspective um, as, you know, as, as, as part of folk religion, uh, even though people, individuals might not regard it as something religious. Uh, that's also something I'm looking at, you know, why, why are some things religious or seen as, as religion and other things are seen as folklore or
0: yeah.
1: mythology or, you know, the implication being that they're not real usually when people say
0: that's that's a key question really in the whole area isn't it yeah some of your research looks into place names as well too doesn't it in in the folklore context
1: uh yeah i'd like as i mentioned the places connected with with fairies uh or um you know the the ring forts or so that are colloquially known as fairy forts Um so some sometimes place names hold spiritual meaning or you know the, the din din shank is the kind of you know place name lore how places got their name you often have a connection with something otherworldly or something mythological um so uh you know the you know I mentioned Bridget earlier so the you know the kind of Kildare the, the place name Kildare is from kill like a church and the same root word for for the, that, we get druid from so Dira for the oak, so an oak church. So it, it may be that that was an oak sanctuary, um, some kind of a sacred place for the in the Celtic religion, and then that became a, a Christian uh, shrine as well. So um, I'm interested in that kind of merging together or, or syncretism.
0: Brilliant, Jenny. What inspires you?
1: Difficult question to be put on the spot, but what inspires me? Um, I would say the, without sounding too pretentious, like the numinous, something that you can't touch, something that's someone might describe as mystical, like I'm fascinated by by those things. And that inspires me, you know, or motivates me to do research, to find out like what, what kinds of things people are experiencing and what it means. You know, I think life is about meaning, you know, whether that's Whether you describe it as something like religious or spiritual or we have cultural meanings um, and they're, you know, the crux of it. That's that's what uh, I think that's what inspires lots of people to continue or, you know, uh, what's what's what gives their life meaning. And so
0: I I uh, don't think that's pretentious at all, Jenny. And I think there's so much that we have to learn. And, you know, your discipline is is a newer discipline and there's so much that we can learn from it. Like one of my favourite things in UCC is in the when you go to the clock tower of the main quad and you go into the the west wing. There's a number of stones on the wall there, and there's one stone which has pocket marks on it, and nobody seems to know the origin what what its purpose was. Like there were stones next to it which are for querning corn, and for, for, for we know exactly what they're for. But there's this one stone there, which is not a known stone. It doesn't have markings on it, but has pockets on it. And archaeologists and folklorists and and various people have never been able to determine what the purpose of that stone was. And I love that because it's 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 it serves as a as a daily reminder to me that we think while we think we have all the answers, there are still things on display even in our own campus that we don't understand. And it gives us an example and a reminder that we are, we have to constantly keep looking for knowledge and, and and research, and that's kind of what I admire about your area and your research is that 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 longing and that need to continue to research and to uncover things that we don't know. What's your favourite part of UCC?
1: The stone corridor. I like the the Owen stones and the whole the whole structure there. I like I just like the the atmosphere of it and the quad. Uh, um, and you know oam stones with the you know the inscriptions and i'm 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 quite in, you know i think most of them are are personal names and it's there were likely ways of commemorating people or marking territory so i'm another thing i'm interested in is how uh, how people are commemorated or how events are commemorated and the connection with landscape so anything to do with you know um, the kind of built heritage that's out on the landscape, all of those megalithic monuments. And, you know, I I did some research as well on, on the Killini, the, the burial places of 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 um, usually unbaptized babies. And um, so I'm I'm interested in, you know, the, the landscape as a as that kind of nexus of, of, you know, something that's physically there, but also beliefs and cultural memory, how that's all connected with with the landscape. So another example of that and something that's on the, the campus is the, the the little hut, the, the family yeah. um, hut. I
0: and don't know, but it'll always be in our memory. Yeah. It's gone. It's
1: gone now. <laughs> so that'll tell you how long I've been on that part of the campus. It's uh, been a while since I was down that way. But the why was I mentioning that? Oh yeah, the, the hungry grass is another thing. You know, how legends are connected to, to landscape. Um, I always used to think of that when I walked past the, uh, that little mud hut, you know, because the, the hungry grass is like, because the, the famine uh, victims would have been, a lot of them would have been buried in mass graves where they died. There's a, there's a, there's the legends of the hungry grass where people who'd be out on the landscape walking across these unmarked graves, these patches of land could suddenly get hunger pangs and die. So a counter charm to that was to bring some bread in in one's pocket and then eat the bread and uh, undo this this kind of spell if you like. I was very affected by the the hunger uh, documentary as well. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, even though of course I knew I knew the history but to hear more, you know, I'd never really thought about what what it must have been like to have lived at that time. So, you know, the memory of that is in the landscape as well, so
0: I like that phrase, Jenny, and I think it's a good place to wrap up the memories in the landscape. Dr. Jenny Butler, thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely fascinating and great talking to you. And best wishes with your research and your, your upcoming book.
1: Likewise. Thank you, GP.